Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and let me take you to this non-Christmas passage and uh, see if we can identify something in the package of what Paul is saying here um, that he experienced, and it could be something that we need to experience today as well. The reason I asked you a while ago if you like the Christmas season, I know most of us enjoy that which is associated with Christmas, which is gift giving. How many of you like giving, giving gifts? How many of you like receiving gifts? That was a more honest answer, probably. Gift giving is always a part of what we do at this season. And this tradition of gift giving goes all the way back to what many believe is when the magi or the wise men brought their gifts to the Christ child. You remember the three gifts, right? A favorite story that I have, and you may have heard this, is when um, the third grade class was doing their Christmas play. And I'm sure you know that when you put children on the platform like we even had last night, you never know what you're going to get. And that's the fun of the whole thing. But you put some third graders on the stage, and let me tell you, folks, it can be potentially dangerous. As a minister of music for the last 150 years, I had plenty of children's choirs, and you never knew exactly what was going to happen, but that's, that's the magic of the whole thing. So these third graders, <clears throat> um, they had three third graders that were going to be the wise men or the magi, and they're brought up there, and all they had to do was to walk up and just say the name of their gift. And so the first kid comes up, and he screams out, gold, and then he lays it down, and the second kid comes up, and he yells out, Myrrh! And the third kid got really nervous, and he couldn't remember that long word. And so he just, in his nervousness, he got up and he just said, um, Frank sent this. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that joke. Nobody got my joke last night. It was so depressing. <clears throat> Gift-giving is that tradition that goes back to those three gifts, and it continues on today. And, of course, we know that it gets exploited. According to the American Consumer Credit Council, the average American is spending about $1,000 on their family this Christmas, and most are doing that with a significant amount of credit card debt already. won't even go into the number. You can look it up yourself. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Americans charge, you ready for this? You want to take a guess? They charge more than $584 billion, with a B, dollars on their credit cards. You believe that? Some of you husbands say, my wife does that alone. <laughs> In fact, though everyone talks about Black Friday, and boy, it's getting crazy. I remember when it didn't seem like Black Friday was that big. Now people are lining up on Tuesday to... Get stuff someplace. I, you know, there ain't nothing I want that bad to line up and spend all night someplace. You can go do it, you know, but not for me. But everyone talks about Black Friday that they say that, but they say that the, the Saturday before Christmas actually has more money spent on, than on Black Friday. And I hope you retailers for you that you are blessed this year. So you have to realize how much is really going on in the Christmas shopping tradition is taking place and what's really happening that involves money and its potential to really remove the the true message of what Christmas is all about. Whenever you get to this money issue, it has truly the potential to obscure the message of Christmas. Now, I know that this theme about the commercialism of Christmas is not new and preachers hammer on it every year. 
But I do want to take you to a money passage in the Bible today, not the traditional Christmas message that we may get to later, but I want to take you to a money passage in the Bible, and I want to show you something that, that hit me this week. I want you to go to a passage that lots of ministers and lots of churches will read as they're getting ready to take the offering. It may have been read here. I don't recall if it was, but let's go to 2 Corinthians. But what I want you to see in chapter 9 is this sudden left turn that takes place, this sudden shift in Paul's talking and, and thinking and what might have happened in this thing that happens like this. It is so striking. And actually, what it was that took place in his mind and his heart in that second is something that I hope takes place in our hearts today. So let's read it. 2 Corinthians 9, let's start with verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift. Now, he's talking about finances clearly here. So that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. You ever heard that word before? <laughs> I read that and I thought, I wonder if we've ever taken an exaction offering at Bethesda. It sounds painful, doesn't it? Sounds like something you go to the hospital to have removed or whatever. But I'd never heard of an exaction offering. But that's what it says. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also, come on, are you with me today? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace. I love all the alls in this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How many want a dose of that? I want you to say out loud, I'll take the alls. Come on. Let's read it again. God is able. First of all, that's enough right there for us to say, thank God. He's able. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Can somebody just say hallelujah? As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, he's just talking about giving and money and all. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Look at me for a moment. Think about what we just read. A lot of words. There's not a Christmas tree. 
There's not a manger scene. There's not a donkey, a camel. There's not a wise man. There's not a wreath. There's not a Christmas light. There's not even a candy cane in any of those verses. What we have here are verses about money, verses about giving, and I don't know what happened to Paul right here at this very moment that we are in this passage, but something obviously happened because Paul does something that tells us this. If there's anything that you and I need to learn this Christmas, it's this passage and what I'm about to show you. He's talking about money. He's talking about giving, clearly, and all of a sudden, It must have been a flash that went through his mind. Right in the middle of all of that. Have you ever been talking to people about something and engaged in conversation? You were, you know, you were just sharing your heart and suddenly just something went through your mind. Just a flash went through his mind. I have to assume that's what happens here. At this very moment of what he's saying, he kicks, almost interrupts himself. And he kicks into praise and he says this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Some versions say this, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Some say his, uh, the gift that is too wonderful for words. Some say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Whatever word the versions use there, what's really being said here, if you look at the, the Greek, it means this, thanks be to God for For his gift, which cannot be related. It's unutterable. It's beyond what our words can describe. It's beyond what we can even say. And that particular word, it occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Say that word, indescribable. Say it. Oh, come on, with passion. There you go. That's better. The idea is this. No words can properly express the gift that has been bestowed upon man. It's higher than the mind can conceive. It's higher than our language can express. So this shift happens. He's talking about money with the church. He's talking about giving. He's talking about giving to the poor. Here's all these cash verses about God loving a cheerful giver. And then this flash, something kicks into Paul's mind at that very moment. He says, you know what? Yeah, all well, that's true. I'm talking about money. You need to know. But you know what? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, indescribable gift. And clearly, at that moment, he's not talking about money. At that moment, he's talking about the only gift that truly is indescribable, which is the gift that God gave us over 2,000 years ago, none other than Jesus himself. Thank God for his indescribable gift. He's beyond description. He's beyond our words. It's not a what, it's a who he's speaking of. And he gets to the end of this chapter, and all of a sudden his mind is arrested. He begins to realize, you know what? You know what? This is not about money. It's not about money. I I don't know about you, but I just think about that moment. Because I've had my own moments. I've been talking to somebody, and a flash goes through my mind. What's in the heart of a man? What posture does a man have when he's even involved in in a conversation about something else? And this adjustment, this flash takes place. Oh, that all of us would be living in such a way and have such an understanding about the indescribable gift that even in the midst of a conversation, you might go, you know what? This is about about Jesus. 
My life is about Jesus. It's not about money. This adjustment takes place. Thank God for his unspeakable, his indescribable gift because there's something so much greater than cash, something so much greater than money. And these eight words that the apostle brings up, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's this shift from money back to Jesus. How many want to shift today back to Jesus? Wherever your journey has taken you, wherever your thoughts have taken you, whatever your, your life situation has taken you, let's say, Jesus, today, we want to shift back to you. Give us that flash in our mind so that we in our hearts can fully say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Can you say amen to that? This, of course, is the time of year that we are concerned about choosing the right gift for all those special people in our lives, and sometimes we get caught up in the who gave us this gift, what they give us last year, and, you know, I need to give something that, you know, how do I reciprocate? And have, have you ever received a great gift? Have you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> have you ever received an indescribable gift? Have you ever given an indescribable gift? Bless you, whoever that was. <laughs> have you ever given an indescribable gift? I've been trying to remember, you know, I don't remember what I got yesterday, much less last year, you know, but trying to remember if I've ever given or received an indescribable gift, and when I think about that, I realize that, you know, the, this word, when you're talking about me here, the indescribable, it could be a good thing or it could be maybe not such a good thing. Indescribable could mean something else here. And husbands, brothers, let me share something with you today. Are you listening to me, Brothers. Brothers, I said, are you listening to me? Thank you. We need, brothers, to learn what is considered a good gift and know the difference between that and the other kind. Let me share with you. Just this past Thanksgiving, just what, 10 days ago, whatever, week before last, Becky and I were in the kitchen as she was preparing part of the meal that we were going to share with others, and I, I have a confession to make. I'm going to make it right here before God and this company of witnesses. I am worthless in the kitchen. <laughs> worthless. The extent of my ability, sweetheart, thank you for just sitting there quietly. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I can hand you something. I, I'm good at that. I can climb up on a step stool and fetch something that you, know, you can't reach. I can do that. Uh, on a good day, I can use the can opener and open a can of something for you. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And I'm particularly good at eating and sampling something that you need sampled to know if it's good or not. I'm, I'm good at that. But, folks, that is the extent of my ability in the kitchen. It's pathetic, I know, but it's true. It's the extent of my ability. I'm not a cook. And for all of you husbands out there who are and like to talk about, I'm, I'm happy for you. Good for you. However, one thing that has fallen my lot over the last many years, I don't know how it happened, I can't remember exactly when it happened, it is my job to cut the turkey. How many of you men have to cut the turkey? All right. It's my job to cut the turkey. So we get out the electric knife. I can use an electric knife. Ours is old. In fact, let me tell you, our electric knife was a wedding present to us. 
And you get the full impact of that when you understand Becky and I just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. Now, granted, this knife has only been used 40 times because it only gets pulled out once a year, and probably less than that, we might have skipped a few years, okay? But nonetheless, this knife is, it is old, and it is that beautiful avocado green color <laughs> that we used to have in our refrigerators and our stoves. Does anybody remember that? Don't even raise your hand if you still have that, okay? We, we don't want to know. This knife is old. It would not, this year, it would not even make a dent in the turkey. It wouldn't even cut the skin of the turkey. It's so pathetic. So I'm getting frustrated. And And finally, in my exasperation, I held up the knife and I thought, I know what I'll get Becky for Christmas. She would be impressed with that. So while holding it in my hand, I made the mistake, brothers, brothers, learn from this pastor. Holding it in my hand, I said, I think I know what I'll get you for Christmas. And let me tell you, I got that precious response that said, you wouldn't dare. Do not get me an electric knife for Christmas. Husbands, let me share you the lesson here. After 40 years of marriage, women don't like tools for Christmas presents. For birthdays, for anniversaries. If it don't make them smell better or look cuter, they're not interested in it. That's the way it is. Ladies, I'm helping you here today. Come on, give me an amen. It's time for you to nudge that husband. You're going to say, are you listening to this preacher? Come on. There are just some gifts that are indescribable. I have got another great story, but I don't have to save it for some other time. It's just, no, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even said that. I need to go home and ask permission to tell it, okay? It's one of those. <clears throat> and after this morning, I'm sure I'll never get the permission, so... There are just some gifts that are indescribable, and though not necessarily in a good way. Let me take you back to what's happening in Paul's mind here, because that's what's important this morning. He's got this shift from money to Jesus, from money to the indescribable. And we need to see this because we can so easily forget what the season is all about. And Paul has shows us what it's like to get put back in line. So I'm going to spend just the next few minutes, hopefully we'll get out early today with all the festivities that we have tonight. I'm not promising, but I'm hoping. And I want to take to try, as crazy as it is going to be, I want to try to describe the indescribable. And for me to try to do this, I feel like I'm on two grounds. On the one hand, oh man, it is ludicrous for me to even try to describe the indescribable. How does the creature describe the creator? How do we describe not just the baby that's there, but the God-man that is in that manger? He was fully God and fully man. Can I get an amen for that, if you believe that? The truth is it's insane for me to even try. 
But yet, on the other hand, I feel like I'm not only kind of on treacherous ground even trying to do that, but I feel like I'm on good ground because the Bible promises me this, and I stand on this, that when we lift up Jesus, when we exalt the name of Jesus, he can draw all men to himself. So here we are trying to look past the money, past the stores, past the credit cards, involve the season, and determine what the focus is. And Paul says the focus is this indescribable gift. Trying to describe the indescribable. And we're going to look at four things this morning and then we'll be finished today. Four things as we consider the indescribable. The first one is this. He's so young, yet so old. Say it. He's... Listen to the prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, speaking to Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That was the prophecy they quoted in Matthew 2 about the coming of Jesus. And what they were saying was this. In 10 B.C., there was no such person as Jesus of Nazareth. But here's what's amazing. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. You know, we have this phrase or this terminology that we use in dating things, and you've used it if you've studied history at all. We call it B.C., which stands for? But the truth is, that's an incorrect statement. Because there was never such a thing as before Christ. Because he has always been here. Can I get an amen to that? He was here from long ago. He is the ancient of days, the scripture tells us. He has always been and he will always be. He had absolutely no beginning. And what made Jesus indescribable in that manger? Are you ready for this? He is the only person who ever lived before he was born. Who else can say that? Show me another religion where they can say that. That he lived before he was born. That's Jesus. And dear friend, that's indescribable. He's young. He's old. He is alpha. He is omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. That's Jesus, the indescribable gift. Come on, give the Lord praise today. Number two, if you're marking these things down. He's so poor, being born in a manger, and yet so rich, being God himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Yeah, that ought to evoke a hallelujah out of all of us today. Christmas is the highest grossing holiday on the calendar. And one person said, let's face it. Cattle lowing and a baby in a manger is worth more money in the bank compared to a homeless 30-year-old man who they nailed to a cross. Think about it. More people are comfortable with a baby in a manger 
than the bloody sacrifice that they put upon a cross. But that is what his mission was. Does anybody remember a song we sang a few years ago? You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, and on. Well, listen just again to that first line. You came from heaven. We got to just stop right there. It makes no sense leaving a perfect environment to come to this far less than perfect environment. And think about this. Nobody asked him to come. Nobody asked him to come. Nobody invited him to come. In fact, Romans 5 tells us this, that while we were helpless, while we were in our ungodly state, wretched as we are, while we were in that condition, no one cried out for Jesus to come. But even in that state, his love sent him on a mission to save and redeem us. He leaves a perfect, incredible environment to come as a missionary to us. Talk about the rich becoming poor. Talk about anti-culture. We live in a society where the poor are trying to get rich. Who is it that is rich that's trying to get poor? But that's Jesus because he's the indescribable one. The one who created the universe was born in a borrowed table, borrowed stable, buried in a borrowed tomb. And yet he has come to change our lives, to become poor, to make us rich. I found this little poem written by a Puritan that says this. He died on a cross made of wood, but he made the hill on which it stood. He died on a cross made of wood, but he made the hill on which it stood. In my 30-plus years in the music industry, I've had the privilege of arranging and orchestrating just about every conceivable Christmas carol, hymn, Christmas jingle, Christmas song that there is, <clears throat> whether for a publishing company to make available to churches for their pageants or spectacular things or a Christmas show somewhere. I'm not proud of all of them, but nonetheless, I did them because I need to tell you, yes, I have arranged. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Yes, there is a J. Daniel Smith arrangement of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Yes, there is a J. Daniel Smith arrangement of I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. It's true. It is true. And the familiar carols I've arranged several times, many times, for many different settings. Oh, there's so many magnificent Christmas hymns that I love. And if you came last night, you heard many of them, and you'll hear them tonight when you come. He knows our need. <laughs> to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. And one of my favorite verses in all of Christmas material comes from Hark the Herald Angels sing that last verse. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. I grew up singing that just like you did, and I'll never forget when our kids were younger and middle school age, there were several years that during the Christmas season, between Christmas and New Year's, Becky and I would take them to New York City, and for two or three years we did that. And we went to the Radio City Music Hall at least once, maybe twice. 
and all this fabulous stuff that they have, and there's the Rockettes doing their thing, you know, all that stuff. And um, it's, a great, it's a great production, and at the end, I mean, it builds to this enormous crescendo. There's this huge orchestra and casts of thousands, and they've created the, main, the angels flying, and they've created this manger scene and everything. And not a biblical thing about it, but it's pretty, okay? Very pretty. And, but however, when a, someone that is a, a fellow arranger that I'm familiar with, Bob Krogstad, I knew he had done the, arra- the arrangement of the finale um, of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I got to tell you, in the, with all of the resource that they had to make it unbelievable, I will never forget the first time because I know what's coming. I know that verse is coming and I, and I feel it. And they start singing, Christ by highest heaven adored. And the visual image that you have in front of you is so spectacular. Christ, the everlasting Lord, light and life to all he brings. And I knew the line was coming. I never forget. I leaned over to Becky and I said, you better hold me back. I'm fixing to have a Pentecostal fit. It's going to be messy. <laughs> and you're going to be, you and the kids are going to be really embarrassed. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And it was an exalting of Jesus. It was incredible. About 12 or 15 years ago, just about the time I thought I had arranged every Christmas song there was, I got a call from a record company to work on a Christmas project for a singer, also from New York City. Her name is Damaris Carbaugh. Damaris has sung here at Bethesda before. She's, she and her husband, Rod, are dear friends of ours. Becky and I try to have a meal with them when we're in the same city. And she got a call to do um, this Christmas project. I was privileged to arrange, orchestrate the project. <clears throat> and she called me and she says, Dan, I know that you know, they want me to do this familiar song and this one and this one. She goes, but I've, there's a song I grew up with. She's half Puerto Rican and half Italian. The fire is shut up in her bones, let me tell you. <laughs> she is a phenomenal artist, and she is a great lady. And so, but she grew up in, mostly in Puerto Rico, and she said, my dad, her dad was also a fine singer, and she goes, my dad sang me this little song, and I've quoted it for you here before, but I have to tell you, of all of the Christmas songs, of all of the Christmas musicals, of all that that we've done over the years, this is my favorite. And the chorus says this, his were the planets and the stars in the sky. They all belong to him. His were the valleys and the mountains so high. It all was his. His, all earth's kingdoms from pole unto pole. But he became poor to ransom my soul. I want to tell you something, folks. <laughs> That's our Jesus. That's indescribable. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's unspeakable. It's too wonderful for words. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody put your hands together and bless him today. Save the planet. That was his mission. When I was a kid. Growing up, we didn't recycle like we do today. 
Nobody did that, at least in the neighborhood that I was raised in. And so when this idea of recycling got introduced to me, they were telling me, hey, save the plastic. Put, the, put that bin over there. Don't throw away those papers. Don't throw those papers out. Come on, you got to put them in the recycling. What about that milk carton or that orange juice box? you got to save that. People making a big deal over milk cartons and orange juice boxes. And they're saying, save the planet. Go green, baby. Save the planet. i got something to say about that this morning. I understand all that. I'm not opposed to recycling. We do it every week at our house, all right? But let me tell you something. You're not going to save a planet through plastic. You're not going to save it through newspapers. You're not going to save it through milk cartons. Email me all you want. You're not going to save it that way. Listen, it's not about going green. It's about going Jesus. That's what will save this planet. He's the only one. He's the indescribable gift. He's the only one who can save this planet, and he came from heaven to earth to do just that. He's the indescribable gift. Number three, so earthly, yet so heavenly. A baby, yet God in the flesh. And that's the fight. So many want to keep him earthly and keep the heavenly out. That's what our culture wants to do what our government wants to do. We'll take the blessings. We'll take the all-loving, all-caring God. But let's take his name off of everything. Let's remove all the stuff from the schools. Oh, no, we don't want to offend anybody. You know, let's take all that out. Let's keep the heavenly part out. I know a little, I know of a little fifth-grade girl who entered a writing contest, and her assignment was to write a one-page report on a fictional or real-life story for Christmas. Your paper was called The Perfect Gift. It's not long. Let me just read it to you briefly. And in me reading it to you, I want you to grasp this idea of heavenly yet earthly. It was three days before Christmas, and Lola's Christmas list practically went out the door. She wanted so much, and her parents spoiled her a lot. Lola's parents got her almost everything on her list, everything except for one thing, and that was happiness. Happiness is what Lola wanted more than anything. Every store they went to, they asked the employee, could you tell us where the happiness is? But the answer was, no, we don't have that here. They were just about finished looking for happiness when they saw a church. They went inside and saw the pastor. He was giving out food to people who didn't have any. Excuse us, Lola's mother said. Do you have any happiness here? The minister said, oh, why, yes. The pastor replied, handing them a book, and he marked a page in it. This is where you'll find happiness. Her parents were confused, but that's where happiness was. They they wanted it for their daughter. When her parents walked in the door of the house, they quickly ran into the other room. They wrapped the book and put it under the tree. And Lola liked to start with the biggest presents first. And after about 45 minutes, she got down to her last present. And she carefully unwrapped the wrapping paper and saw the book. And on the cover of the, of the book was this, B-I-B-L-E. What's this? She asked. It's happiness, her mother replied. Her mother took the book, opened it to the marked page, 
Her parents then went to prepare for their guests while Lola sat there reading about happiness. Lola took some of her presents and said, Mom, get in the car. Her mother stopped what she was doing, got in the car while Lola grabbed a bag and put some of her presents in it. Five minutes later, Lola and her mother arrived at a homeless shelter. Lola grabbed the bag. This is a fifth grade girl that wrote this. Lola grabbed the bag, got out of the car, and walked inside. Excuse me, she said to the lady. Give these to all the young girls here at the homeless shelter. And for me, would you please tell them Merry Christmas? She left the bag with the lady and got back in the car. Her mother said, what are, you, what are you doing in there? Her mother asked. I was finding happiness, Lola answered with the biggest smile. I found it through Christ by giving to others because this is what the verse I read in that book that was marked. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. A fifth grade girl got it. Why do we struggle to get it? A fifth grade girl got it. We still think earthly when it's heavenly that God's trying to get us to think. This little girl who wrote this paper understood that the gift is what God gave. He came from heaven to earth to show us the way. It's not just a baby. It's God in that manger. It's not just something you celebrate once a year. It's the God-man that came to redeem us and to set us free. The earthly is also the heavenly. And to me, I'm presenting this to you as that's an indescribable gift. Finally, number four. He's so small, yet so great. Other religions will declare in speaking of their God, God is great, God is great, God is great. But Christianity alone can dare to say, God is great, but God is small also. What other religion is there where their God came as a baby? There is none in the history of mankind, not one. Listen to me. Christianity is the only one where God humbled himself and came down, as the choir sang about today. He came down. God came down. It's the incarnation. It's the highest becoming the lowest. When our kids were smaller and we would take them to a theme park, Six Flags or Disney or wherever, there were always rides that they wanted to ride, and I would stand in line with them, but we would get to a certain point, and I, you parents will know this, we would often reach a point in the line where there was an indication that you could be no taller than 48 inches to pass through and get onto this ride. It always seemed to me like no matter how bad I wanted to take my little girl or, uh, you know, she was the youngest, and I, I was ready to shrink down and try to crawl through there, but there was always an attendant standing there making sure that no one over 48 inches went through the line. So a big boy here had to step aside, okay? Move out of the way and let the kids go on. For our kids, their little size was their ticket to get in. The only way you could get in was you had to be small enough. If you're not little, you can't get in. So I was told to step aside. And then, you know, we'd go to McDonald's or, God forbid, Chuck E. Cheese. Sorry if you work at Chuck E. Cheese. <clears throat> Thank God my kids got past that stage years ago. Though Shader probably still likes to go. 
He's old enough to go on his own now, thank God. But you go to McDonald's or Chuck E. Cheese and the play zone. How many of you parents have been in the play zone at Chuck E. Cheese? Come on. And lived to tell about it. I remember the last time I was in there, somebody yelled at me and said, Hey, big boy, you can't go with You're going to crush all the balls in there. You can't do that. Sit down. Eat your pizza. You can't go in there. You're, you're too big. And they point at the sign, 48 inches. Let me tell you something. It's the same thing with Christianity. Isn't it amazing that God who becomes a child says to you, you've got to become like a child to get into the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing that he who was the highest became the lowest? And yet we want to walk in uprightly with our stuff all together. And it's like, I got this. You know, I got this. And God says, uh-uh, uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. You can't get in with your high lofty self into the kingdom of God. Can't get in with your 401k, your money, your salary, your retirement, your position, or your reputation. God says there's only one way to get in. You've got to get small enough to get in his presence and to begin to know who it is that you're talking to. That's the God that we serve. God is great and by his example, and yet he became so small. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe and yet small enough to live within our heart. Are you thankful for it today? Bow your heads with me in prayer, please. Lord, we simply have to say, you are the indescribable gift. You are beyond our words to tell. You are inexpressible unspeakable and so we acknowledge you today and we are so thankful that you are the ancient of days so young and yet so old you were so rich and yet you became poor for our sakes so earthly yet so heavenly so great and yet so small you are the indescribable gift Lord, I'm just simply asking today as we come into this season that you will let us have a posture before you that is humbled, that is broken before you, recognizing who you are and what you have done for us, that you reduced yourself and humbled yourself to come into this world, and that as we walk through this season with that clearly in our minds, that as we are involved in conversations and we're with other people, that a flash will come through our mind as happened to the Apostle Paul. Whatever the conversation is, something within us will resonate in praise to you and that something will cause us to say, oh, but thanks be to God for his indescribable but everything else will slide off. Everything else will fade away as we simply are reminded that you came from heaven to earth to show us the way. From the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. From the cross to the grave. From the grave to the sky. So Lord, we lift your name on high. And we 
exalt you today. For we say it in the peerless name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.